Hello, it's great to be with all of you. I hope you guys are enjoying uh, GMHC 2020 so far, and God is speaking to you clearly in terms of how you can uh, be involved with his kingdom expansion here on earth, whether it is thinking of starting something new or continuing uh, the work that you've already been doing. Uh, I hope God continues to speak to you and revive you and um, make many things clear during this time um, as we move forward. I just want to give you a little bit of introduction to what we will cover during the session, um, as you can probably make out uh, from this uh, introductory slide. Um, I was hoping that this could be a very interactive exercise before COVID actually happened, uh, but we will try to do our best in terms of um, being ready uh, to think through various aspects of how we simplify what we try to achieve for God's glory in everything that we do. Um, so this session would be, I would hope that this session would be very useful for people who are preparing, uh, even um, including people who are veterans uh, looking into um, short-term, long-term, and any type of ministry opportunities uh, in order to really focus on God's continued work here on earth. So this picture right here actually comes from, there's a reason why I've put First Chronicles 5.26 uh, in the bottom there. Uh, that's because the verse actually talks about, so the God of Israel stared at the spirit of Bull, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath Blesser, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the river Gozan, and they remain in these places to this day. So the shot is actually somewhere in southern part of Central Asia. And it is not until I stopped traveling into this region that I even found out that the very first Jewish exile happened mainly to this land that I've been traveling in and out of. Although I don't go to that country anymore due to uh, a very uh, serious circumstance that I found myself in, being hostage for about five days and having to... Um, uh, be rescued by the American Navy SEALs. Uh, in spite of wanting to go back, I haven't been given the um, uh, the freedom to head back into that country. But that one closed door has actually uh, ended up uh, with another region opening up uh, to work with the same uh, people group um, being refugees in this um uh, other country that I've been um, working in for the past uh, five years or so. So let's uh, let's proceed. So this is where most of my stories are going to come from. Uh, although I will not this entire entire map, but in the center of the map and a little bit to the uh, bottom uh, southeastern corner as well. So when I first started thinking through uh, how I would like to use my medical degree and medical educational background uh, for missions, uh, it became very clear uh, dating back to uh, the latter part of last century. I believe it was 96 Urbana, Urbana Conference, where I really sort of rededicated um, my plans uh, to God, wanting to uh, be a medical missionary. And and this slide uh, denotes really why we do things like this. Why should we uh, be part of something that God is doing here on earth? Other than the simple answer of, well, it's God's work and he's calling us. Um, I think it's much more than that. Um, I think what I have learned over, over the past um, I uh, would say maybe 15, 20 years, 
uh, of doing a lot of short-term missions is that in spite of knowing that, yes, I am being part of God's amazing plan uh, to extend his kingdom here on earth, I am each and every time so surprised of how much I get to learn from this amazing opportunities that God gives me. And, and I think that's, that, that, that very notion is very humbling, not only humbling, but a great reminder that, wow, we, we are in this learning process. None of us are complete. Uh, I hope none of us think we are. Uh, but this great task that is out there um, for us to be part of also invites us into a learning process of God completing his work in us. Um, but the task is great and it's so imbalanced uh, because most of our money and our resources, uh, whether it is people resources or uh, financial resources, continue to go to places that have already heard the gospel at least once or thousands of times. And there are places where this light hasn't reached. And many of my um, you know, forays and, and activities into some of these dark places have reminded me, wow, how, how amazing it is to be able to shine that uh, whatever little reflection that you can shine of, of God and let God's spirit do that great work through us, the humble vessels, broken vessels, um, where he gets to use us. So I hope this, this uh, table kind of uh, helps us um, uh, be more um, challenged by this idea of, wow, the task is not anywhere close to being completed, and we need to be more vigilant in wanting to do exactly what God has already called us in the Great Commission. Let me start off with a, a little story. This comes out of one of my very first medical trainings that I got to do in this uh, country in Central Asia. Uh, this doctor in the middle uh, was uh, my translator uh, in into the local language, trade language, and the doctor to the right, uh, to our right as you uh, view the screen uh, is a local doctor at the local clinic where we're at um, within the capital city of this country. And after the first session, I happened to ask this doc um, uh, what he enjoys doing. And, and he mentions that I love doing stuff like this, you know, being able to hold seminars in different parts of uh, the country, just travel to rural areas and um, uh, just help raise awareness of health issues that our country continues to deal with, most of the very preventable issues. And I said, mm, are you able to really uh, fulfill that dream that you have? Uh, what are you doing right now? And he said, well, you know, I'm kind of stuck in the uh, local Ministry of Public Health and, and the way things work in our country is that you never get promoted unless you really know someone or you're connected to someone uh, higher than you. And whoever is higher than you would always try to demean you and, and, and keep you under him or her uh, just because of the power struggles uh, that people go through. And and I thought, how... Um, how widely practiced is that? Is that um, that whole notion of people not allowing others to be empowered? That is not a very kingdom approach, right? And yet that is practiced even in countries that that tend to call themselves uh, or are influenced by Christian uh, beliefs or Christian uh, system of belief. So. I just kind of started praying for this guy that he would really, God would really enable him to uh, experience and exercise the dream that God has given him. And it just so happens that the very next time I encourage him as much as I can. And, and I could, I could very much tell that uh, he had the same credentials that I had in master's in public health and an MD degree. And um, the next time I went to the country and I asked for the same uh, doctor for translation. I heard that he had gotten a job where he was traveling around to different parts, uh, regional and um, 
you know, provincial and district level um, hospitals and doing health seminars. And uh, the guy who was telling me about this said, you know, someone must have really encouraged him uh, to do this type of work. And, and he seems to be really excited once in a while. I get to see him in the, in the capital MOPH and, and public health offices, and he's really following his dreams. So I just thought, how need it is that we can come alongside people and just encourage them and not really do so much for them other than just say, hey, you're really capable. You are made in the image of God and God cares about you fulfilling your purposes. I mean, God's purposes and plans in and through your life. And when he gives you a dream, you should strive for that and, and you can make it happen. Just small encouragements would go a long way, even in very dark places. Um, I want to cover um, uh, this, this idea of integrating uh, of this holistic uh, idea that God has. How much do we, uh, in spite of knowing that we are spiritual beings, um, how much do we truly uh, integrate that idea into what we do in the mission field? Um, so I remember in one of my early visits as well, maybe dating back to late 2009 or early 2010 in the same country uh, where I came across a mother, a young mother, uh, maybe only in her uh, late 20s, and um, she had a daughter with her, maybe 11 or 12 years old. And the, uh, I happened to ask after going through the, you know, just the basic physical exam and some questions. I happened to ask uh, the mother what the young girl was doing with her, why she is not in the local school going through an education. And the mother looked at me as if... Um, I was from a different planet. And that quickly made me realize, wait a second, I, uh, we are in completely different uh, mindset and worldview, first of all. Uh, but the way she reacted to me uh, and then felt the freedom to say, what good is it to me if my daughter is in school? I never got a chance to go to school and I'm doing just fine. And uh, it's not going to help her a whole lot. You know, in a few years, she's going to be married off and she needs to learn how to take care of her, her own family. And here was a girl of uh, 11 or 12 years of age. It made me think right away about this idea of uh, whatever beliefs that we have, whether that is ingrained from our societal uh, fundamental way of life, uh, or even a spiritual religious um, uh, mindset, that belief then gives rise to our attitudes, right? And those attitudes obviously give rise to our behavior. And the more I saw this type of pattern, I realized this is just the Trinitarian view of how we're made. I mean, we're made to have a belief system because of the spirit that we are, God having breathed his life, his spirit into us. And we get to really live that out through our mental capacity, our emotional capacity, what we would say our soul perhaps. And that comes out in our actions, uh, in our behavior. Um, so you can, you can put this sort of framework or this paradigm into um, various things, whether it is character, you know, character, how character uh, leads to certain skill sets uh, and, and how that um, uh, represents a certain style. Or think about wisdom, you know, we're inundated with so much data out there, right? So much information. But when we put that into a specific framework, then we get knowledge in a certain subject, but then you need a deeper sort of uh, wisdom to know how do we really uh, put this information and knowledge into use? And when do we get to use it? What kind of people would we use it uh, with? And how do we truly um, use it for 
a greater good. Uh, that's that's where the deeper wisdom comes in. So uh, going then back to uh, the spirit and um, I hope you have a piece of paper where you can actually kind of write this down. The deeper you go, uh, the less quantifiable uh, we become uh, uh, or things become. So think of it just like an iceberg. So on the top, you will actually see um, uh, the tip of the iceberg, but, but much, much of the strength of the iceberg, the character of the iceberg is really going deep down inside, right? I mean, deep down, to the ocean bed, uh, some of them, and, and some of them are just sort of floating around. So the greater foundation we have in the spiritual realm, um, and this is where the fruit of the spirit thinks that we cannot quantify uh, why we do what we do, uh, the true belief system, that's really where the core of our very essence of our being is. So transferring that to this, this idea of how do we build godly character in us so that we're truly representing God's kingdom, this really comes into play. Um, so the, the farther up we go in this paradigm, in this pyramid, so to speak, the the more quantifiable. Certainly in the physical realm, we can quantify just about everything, right? So um, in, the, in the medical field that most of us are in, we want to have those vital signs so that then they, um, uh, they tend to then uh, show us what greater, deeper things that the patient might be dealing with. In, in simply the medical realm, it might just be the physical things that we're dealing with. This is why we as uh, Christ followers need to go dig deeper in terms of uh, why is a patient presenting with a certain, why is a community presenting with certain symptoms, uh, certain signs? Do they think differently? What kind of attitudes do they really have towards health behavior? And if they have those attitudes, are they tied to specific belief system? So in Thinking through this paradigm, we need to then think about, wow, if we, if we truly use this, this mindset of everything that we are is tied to the spirit that we believe we have. If we truly believe that we have God's spirit in us, then what we do reflects that spirit, right? Yes, we do falter, we do fall down, but we get to get up because of the strength of the spirit and say, hey, I'm gonna continue in this venture because God has called me to this and I, and, and I know why I'm doing this. So um, I, wanna, I wanna share a, a story of, of having plans uh, all of us, all of us have plans, right? Um, all of us um, go through specific ways of doing things um, because of uh, whether it's our upbringing, whether it's our um, educational background, whether uh, knowing that we have a specific type of skill set and, and a style of working, we want to implement that in everything that we do. But I know that in my own um uh, short or semi-long 20 years of experience or so, I haven't always um, checked with God's spirit in everything that I do, you know, in the midst of things. And and the more I've immersed myself into very rural places. So here's this slide actually shows a village, um, a community of about 25,000, 24,000 people, I believe. And they're all this specific group, uh, specific people group called the Pashtuns. Um, and I won't go into the detail of the, the, the exact location, but you can kind of make out, make out in, the, in the background all the uh, various houses. The prominent buildings are actually some buildings that are, the, the one in the middle is a building that was actually built by uh, some of the NATO forces to be specific, a French uh, provincial reconstruction team. And uh, our NGO was able to get that uh, converted into a local uh, medical clinic. And then later on, I believe in 2000, uh, late 2008, 
uh, we finished a building to the right, which then served as an educational building uh, for, uh, you know, close to maybe 10,000 kids who can actually go to uh, school and yet less than 1,000, if not uh, a few hundred, uh, make it to a local school that was actually uh, destroyed during Mujahideen's struggle um, um, following the Russian times um, in this country. So I, I was just reminding myself, even looking at this slide, that some of my best conversations, interactions with locals have come out of um, times when I wasn't necessarily preparing myself to be in a situation of, of having a meal with, with a local um, uh, leader or an elder. Uh, so in this setting, I've had, uh, I think, more than 10 uh, local village elder meals, uh, a feast, I should say. Uh, and, and you have the opportunity to really dig deeper and dive deeper into uh, the mores of life and the practices, the traditions, and even the belief system and why they tend to struggle with certain behavior patterns, um, whether it's in health or social patterns or things of that nature. Um, so in order to really understand this better, um, what better way than to actually look at the Word of God, right? So I want to actually take you guys um, in uh, reconstructing this um, this paradigm, this holistic paradigm of, of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual base, uh, going down to the spiritual base. And how do we actually see that working out in, in certain parables. Um, I picked the parables because this is really where we have a good understanding of what Jesus has taught. How has he worked out his teaching in his own life? And how has he propagated the kingdom of God uh, to people around him? What was he really trying to leave behind as he was working for three and a half years here on earth to establish God's kingdom and, and through his words, his deeds, uh, his actions towards others? So, um, just to give you a context of this, uh, you all know the parable of the lost son. It comes right after as Luke, uh, the medical doctor, writes this um, um, right before the lost son. We see the lost sheep and then the lost coin and then the lost son. I, I, I really think that there's a great reason for that sort of progression. You know, sheep definitely represent something that's valuable, but probably not as valuable as a coin that you have to earn from your work. And then, of course, as we go on to the lost son, we see that certainly much more, hopefully much more valuable in especially a communal culture like the Jewish culture that, that Christ is living and representing and talking to. Um, and then there's also this, this aspect of Christ giving this talk to two main people groups. Uh, one is the Pharisees who are um, considered as uh, definitely the, the, the cream of the crop, uh, always looked up to. And then he's also talking to the tax collectors, the least of uh, the community, uh, very much looked down upon because they're considered the traitors uh, because they're collecting all the tax on behalf of the Roman oppressors, right, um, uh, of the day. Uh, so uh, interestingly enough, even in the, in the story that Christ is presenting here, he has the lost son and then the quote-unquote righteous son representing both the Pharisees and the um, uh, and the tax collectors. So let's just quickly read this. I know you, you guys all know the story. So Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, let me just stop right there. Having grown up in India and having gone uh, uh, to, traveled extensively in in this country of uh, within Central Asia, and knowing very well, much more than a Western paradigm, what an Asian, African, Jewish uh, sort of communal culture is, this simply does not happen. If it does, it's literally in a place like um, a Muslim setting uh, country, like uh, one of the Central Asian countries, if this happens, you cut ties with this son. 
literally that's what happens uh, as far as your uh, as a father is concerned you have no more son so that is the mindset to which christ is saying so even at that hearing just the beginning of that story the people who are listening to the story would have gone that's crazy that that shouldn't happen so not not long after that the young son a uh, younger son got together all he had set off for a distant country and then squandered his wealth in wild living after he had spent everything there uh, everything there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the to his fields to feed pig here's a jewish young boy um, taking care of pigs, right? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to the census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Again, now we we, we know that there's about three different um uh, maybe uh, scenes to this whole story. Son goes away, really squanders all his wealth, struggles with his life, finally comes to his senses. Then the father, finally when he comes back, let's just say that it's probably a couple of years after uh, he squanders everything that he had, everything that is, well, half of what his father had, right? So what was his father's? He takes it and squanders it comes back out of repentance he comes to his senses and there's there's a really good thing to realize here from our paradigm and that is lot of our inner interactions although it comes out of this hopefully coming out of the spirit happens in our soul in our mind in our heart we mow through our uh, obviously heart our emotions the emotional brain maybe the limbic system and we think so much with our mind our consciousness so in his conscious this conscience uh, this young man finally comes to his senses and he realizes wait a second this is not how i'm supposed to live i'm worth more than this but even if I don't go back to my original worth, I just want to be in the presence of my father. So that's what he comes back to. Let me just sort of skip through the rest of the reading just to give you the summary of what's happening here. The, the father, obviously represented by God the Father, runs to him. It's all about how compassionate this father is, knowing that the son has come back. He was lost and now he's found as the, as the um, verse ends here in 32. But we know that the other character, as the entire Bible, tends to be broken down into three main characters. God the Father, us, if we see ourselves through one of the characters that we're reading in the Bible, and others, right? And that entire three-fold character is represented even in the summary of the whole bible and that is love god with all your heart mind soul and strength and love others as you love yourself so you have god yourself and others and so the same three characters are sort of shown in this the father representing the uh, father god and lost son depending on whether we um experience life through the filter of what we see in the lost son or the older son I remember um, five or six years into my time of really kind of spending uh, time with this people group in this specific country, I realized, especially also through uh, many conversations with insurgents, um, uh, luckily many of them non-active insurgents who have given up that way of life and now kind of calling out 
to outsiders and 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 guides, if you will, to facilitate a new way of life, so that they can really see the type of empowerment that they dream about uh, for their communities. So, after thinking through much of this and experience many experiencing many of these interactions, um, I came across this very simple idea that I am actually much like the older son here who really has a very hard time with the father just having an open invitation to this lost son. So here, here's what he's saying. When he comes back, uh, you know, slaving away in the field, when he came near and heard the music and dancing, he asked one of the servants and the servant tells him, hey, um, your brother has come back and your father has killed the fattened calf, perhaps something that uh, should have been killed for him, this older son, because he's, you know, the, 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 the younger son is back and he's safe and he's sound. And the older brother just became so angry and refuses to go in. Again, in a communal culture, communal culture, simply this does not happen. The father, I, I've been in so many homes where the father will never leave his um, seat of power. His um, seating is at a, at a position of great power where everyone faces the father of the of the household and everyone asks him question he's the center of attention and and the and the father in this parable goes out to meet the older son who refuses to go in uh, to be part of the father's party that again is a, is a huge sign of disrespect and the father would never go and plead with the son in any of these cultures and yet we know that as Jesus is actually giving this parable, he's breaking down a lot of the cultural idiosyncrasies, cultural practices, traditions, which is not kingdom culture, right? And as the older son is um, now um, very firmly refuting back to the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. So we clearly see that in spite of being the quote-unquote righteous son, in spite of being in the religious forefront of being an elder, a deacon, a pastor, whatever it might be, a rabbi, um, he's simply not happy with his life. So if we were to take these three characters and place them in the paradigm of this holistic model, Certainly, the father of compassion, father of love, father of grace is certainly represented by the spirit, the very foundation of the model. But as we go up and we take a look at this older son, it's really hard to see how sinful he is from his actions because he's the guy who's out there being a leader in the society. He's a guy who's out there slaving away with the servants in the field a very obedient son. But what's really happening in this mental and emotional level? I tend to tell people when I, uh, when I do seminars or, or uh, speaking about this specific subject, I tend to remind people that he is a perfect um, candidate for, this older son is a perfect candidate for chronic illnesses because he's keeping so many things um, deep down inside, bottled up. And finally, when, uh, when an occasion comes when he's supposed to be very happy, celebrating with this entire household, that, that angst of why should, should I be the slave that who is not uh, respected or regarded as someone who should be celebrated, all of that angst come out. So I would put him in this mental anguish of um, uh, in the middle of the paradigm where much of his um, anger, much of his emotions come out all in negative way. And I would I would certainly put the uh, younger son, although uh, all three characters maybe display different things in terms of their mental, emotional aptitude and their actions and their spiritual understanding um, just for the sake of 
putting these three characters into the same model. I would put the younger son where uh, uh, on top of the pyramid where we can certainly quickly see his actions. He's a reactionary type who just gets up one day and says, I've had enough of this. I want half my, um, you know, half the property, what is coming to me, and I want out of this life. And we see him really coming to senses uh, as we go through the story, as he goes through, hits the bottom, right? He, he goes through enough experiences where he says, there's got to be more to life than this. And, and in many experiences in life, we go through this type of interactions, hopefully deep down inside ourselves, but most of us, we learn from others as well. Um, through these precious interactions, we learn that the very character God is trying to lead in us or mold in us is that 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 essence of the spirit that we're now trying to propagate to others around us, whether it's far away uh, land or right around in our own communities, in our own families. Um, so I, I put this picture of, of, um, of a feast because this is really where a lot of the communal uh, cultures interact. Uh, many of the feasts that I've been part of in, the, in this country that I'm talking about has lasted for like two, three hours. And this is where precious, deep conversations happen. But also as a reminder that, um, I'll come back to this if I, if I remember this, but a great reminder that as, as Christ followers, we're supposed to be the ones who are um, not supposed to be silent. We're supposed to be the ones who are speaking out um, the truth, um, uh, uh, you know, putting aside the fear and speaking out the truth because there's so much violence, not because of bad people, because of the silence of people like us who claim to be Christ followers, who are supposed to be the light in the darkness. So as we, as we bring our time to a, to a close, um, let's kind of review the themes that fall in this paradigm. Um, I've been able to uh, because of various interactions, not because I, I knew this going in, but because of various experiences, I've been able to uh, bring certain themes to its simplicity. Uh, what, what do we do in order to keep our actions, our ministry activities simple? Uh, unless we, in our conversations or even in our actions, things that are not coming back to the fruit of the Spirit, displaying love, joy, peace, uh, even things like unity. When others that we're working for or working with see that type of love and joy and peace within us, displayed out of us, they say, wow, that is what I want. Um, um, and, and, and maybe in our Q&A session, I'll, I'll give you some examples of that uh, from some of my interactions. What about the theme of empowerment? If we're not racing local champions, as Christ did with 12, and, and I'm always so, in some ways, thankful that even in Christ's situation, one guy walked away. One guy uh, said, you know what, I want something that the world has to offer. And, and certainly he regretted it, right? Um, so, but it's a good reminder for us, even in the 12 that Christ spent and, and empowered, if one guy can walk away, you know what? We should also be okay with, if some people say, you know what, this is not for me. Even in Christ's ministry, many would have heard his uh, preaching and would have said, this is way too difficult for me to follow. So let me not follow maybe another time. But this empowering, intentional aspect of racing local champion, champions is so important, whether it is mentoring, discipling, or working closely with um, specific people, showing them the spirit of love. Um, we need to display that it's not a spirit of fear or timidity that God has given us, but it's one of power, love, and self-discipline. And again, coming back to the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, one other theme that I'm really, really um, uh, grateful for and challenged by is this idea of sustainability. Uh, if we're not reproducing our work 
if we are the reason why the work continues to happen, then we're doing something wrong, right? Uh, this is the, the opposite of what uh, sustainable community development, sustainable um, uh, Christian ministry, anything that we do, if it's not allowing locals that we're working with, people that we're uh, serving, reproduce the work that we're doing, then we're doing something wrong. Uh, so I hope as we integrate these kingdom themes into the little kingdoms where we work that need to represent the greater kingdom, the kingdom of God, uh, I hope we will begin to see